quick buttoning up. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all take a stand together as our campuses join us in uh, Appleton and Stevens Point this morning, as well as all those who watch us online. Lots of people watching us online that are normally in our campuses. They're on vacation, but they're watching via online at church. Uh, let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you all with us here this morning. And again, to all of you online, including my grandson, Kian who has been texting me while I've been playing the organ this morning. Y buenos días a todos nuestros amigos latinos. Amén. Dios le bendiga. Nos alegramos de que estás aquí con nosotros. Amen. <laughs> Whatever he said. Amen. Just said our... Our Latino group is joining with us uh, this morning. Good to have them with us. Uh, Glad to be back from Africa. We had a great time there (coughs) with our uh, two grandsons, Kean and Parker. Uh, We were there for three weeks in South Africa. This is way down this time of year. It's the opposite of our hemisphere, so it's winter there. Seems like we always go where it is cold. My life is stuck like a giant version of Frozen. I whine about it all the time. My wife says, let it go, let it go. During the day, it's great. It's like the best fall day that you can ever imagine here in Wisconsin. But as soon as the sun goes down, boom, it drops. Just... It's stunning how fast it drops. It's just boom. And it's like, you know, 40 degrees. Of course, nobody has any heat in their homes. They all wear jackets and stuff all night long. And they get them, they're all in jackets and parkas and stuff like that. It's just, get a heater for the love of heaven. Oh, it's brutal. I'm convinced most of the world wants to be cold. They should just move here. It's free. Even in the South right now, here in the States, going down the South, it's really hot. Walk in any home, any restaurant, any theater, it's like a meat locker. Cold, freezing. Whenever we go South, even in the dead of summer, we bring our jackets with us. So when we walk inside, we can stay warm. Seriously? You want to be that cold? Go North. We actually are warm in the winter. Because we have this thing called heat. It's a wonderful thing. Anyway, enough of my whining. <clears throat> Glad to be back. <laughs> it was a beautiful day yesterday. Oh, hope we have another beautiful day today. That'd be great. Um, 
it is, of course, the 4th of July weekend. Uh, I have a friend when we lived in uh, Marshfield, Wisconsin, which is in the exact center of nothing. And uh, we lived there for almost 20 years. Uh, this is a period in my life when I got out of ministry. I was in the ministry for some years, and I got out because I thought, ah, I'm just horrible at this. And I just quit. <laughs> the kingdom of God will be better off without me. Uh, so I stayed involved in the church. It wasn't like we became crack addicts or something. You know, we, we stayed involved and, and uh, you know, were very, very involved. But I, I wasn't pastoring. I had my own business. I had a friend in uh, Marshfield by the name of Stephen Klaus also had a business. At some point, we eventually started working together in my production company. And uh, we produced videos for big hoity-toity clients around the country. And uh, at some point, <clears throat> I came back into the ministry, moved to Green Bay, uh, then to Stephen's point, back to Green Bay again. Uh, Steve, my friend, uh, moved to Washington, D.C., and continued to produce uh, videos for clients. He just recently produced a video based on a uh, poem called Just a Common Soldier. I want to play for you this morning. It's a very short film, but he did a great job with it. I noticed it because he was online. He received two Emmys for this work. So that's hard to pull off in this business. So it's a top of the heap, man. There he is. <laughs> And uh, so anyway, but it's a really stunning production based on this poem entitled Just a Common Soldier. We thought it'd be appropriate to play it. Play it this weekend. Let's take a look at this. getting old and paunchy, and his hair was falling fast. And he sat around the Legion telling stories of the past, of a war that he had fought in, and the deeds that he had done, and his exploits with his buddies. They were heroes, everyone. And though sometimes to his neighbors his tales became a joke, all his legion buddies listened, for they knew whereof he spoke. But we'll hear his tales no longer, for old Bill has passed away. The world's a little poor, for a soldier died today. He will not be mourned by many, just his children and his wife. For he lived an ordinary and quite uneventful life. He held a job and raised a family, quietly going his own way. And the world won't note his passing. Though a soldier died today. When politicians leave this earth, their bodies lie in state while thousands note their passing and proclaim that they were great. Papers tell their whole life story 
faces from the time that they were young. But the passing of a soldier goes unnoticed and unsung. Is the greatest contribution to the welfare of our land a guy who breaks his promise and cons his fellow man? Or the ordinary fellow who in times of war and strife goes off to serve his country and offers up his life? A politician's stipend and the style in which he lives are sometimes disproportionate to the service that he gives, while the ordinary soldier who has offered up his all is paid off with a medal and perhaps a pension, small. It's so easy to forget them, for it was so long ago that the old bills of our country went to battle. But we know it was not the politicians with their compromises and ploys who won for us the freedom that our country now enjoys. Should you find yourself in danger with your enemies at hand, would you want a politician with his ever-shifting stand? Or would you prefer a soldier who has sworn to defend his home, his kin and country, and would fight until the end? He was just a common soldier, and his ranks are growing thin. But his presence should remind us we may need his like again. For when countries are in conflict, then we find the soldier's part is to clean up all the troubles that the politicians start. If we cannot do him honor while he's here to hear the praise, then at least let's give him homage at the ending of his days. Perhaps just a simple headline in a paper that would say, Our country is in mourning soldier died today. Amen. We are in a series this summer entitled Ask the Pastor, where people get to ask me the questions and Pick the topics that I'll be speaking on. Uh, we started last week. Uh, this week we're answering the question, what happens when we are saved? And uh, trying to explain it in the simplest of terms. In the simplest of terms, when you come and you give your life to Christ, what happens is God takes everything that is wrong about you and swaps it with everything that is right about him. It is the great amazing swap. The reason we are even able to be here this morning and serve and function as a free nation is because of what we just saw, how we have all benefited from men and women who have given their lives in service to our country. They gave up their freedom, their life. They'll never grow old. They'll never see their children graduate 
They'll never be able to build a life together with the girl they loved. They sacrifice all that for people they don't even really know. They don't know me. They don't know you. But they make that great sacrifice, that amazing swap. They, out of love for country, give of themselves so that we might have the freedoms that we enjoy today. Really much of some of the fundamental blessings and experiences we have in life are the result of incredible swaps. Mothers and fathers who swapped their time <laughs> to chase after us little monkeys as we grew into young men and, and young women. All of that happened because they were able to give up uh, and swap with us. Even when a couple gets married, there's an amazing swap that happens there. You see, the most amazing thing a woman has to give is the beautiful body that she has. The thing that men cherish so much is their freedom, their ability to go do anything, anywhere, anytime. But they make a swap. He surrenders that for her. Few men complain about this swap. Some women wonder if it was worth it. But the greatest swap ever is the swap that we experience with Christ. We read about it in the Apostle Paul when he writes his second letter to the Corinthian church. He writes these words. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself. Now, that's kind of a fancy word. Reconciled, basically, is kind of what happens. Let's say you have an argument with a friend or family member or something, and you have a fight, and then later you, you make up. You get back together again. It's called being reconciled. We have been separated by God because of our sin, mankind's desire to ignore what God says, and we want to do things our own way, convinced we can do it better, uh, but it usually just ends in sadness and disappointment, and we come to God, and now we are reconciled to God, despite the wrong that we have done. So all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, and then these incredible words, not counting people's sins against them. I love this phrase. I've read this phrase so many times. I've been looking at it and just thinking about it for weeks now. This idea that God does not count our sins against us. This brings great freedom, great peace of mind, great joy. You know, oftentimes people, even those who live by faith, come to God and they serve God as Christians, but yet they are often haunted by their mistakes, by their sins. Some of you even sitting, listening to me right now in Stevens Point or in that lovely facility there in Appleton, watching us online, at home, on vacation, uh, wherever you're at, and it still bothers you what you did. And I wish I hadn't made that mistake, and I wish I hadn't said that thing, and surely God must be angry at me, and God must be so disappointed in me, and and it's really a bad place to be. When we come to Christ, we have to trust, as John said, that God is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness, another big fancy Bible word, just all the things that are wrong, things that are not right, 
unrighteousness. He takes that away from us. Some people just struggle with that and they keep reliving the guilt of their mistakes. It's a trap you don't want to fall into. The devil loves it when we do that. Some people really get into a big rut with that where they are constantly trying to fix their past. This horrible thing happened to me, I have to fix it. This bad experience happened to me, I have to fix it. Our marriage got off on a bad start. We have to go back and we have to fix it. And the reality is no, no, no. We move on. We don't get trapped with the past. We stand before God who does not count our sins against us. How does this happen? It happens as a result of this incredible swap, which we read in the upcoming verse that says, God made him, talking about Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. God takes what is wrong with us and trades it with what is right about him. It is a transformation that brings such peace to one's soul, but truly is hard to even comprehend. How do you even comprehend what has happened? That now we have the righteousness of Christ in us. That's what God sees when he looks at you. You think he just sees little snot you are from time to time. But that's not what happens. That's why the Bible talks when he writes in, uh, John writes in the last book of the Bible in Revelation when he has visions of the future and of heaven. You know what he sees in heaven? Everybody says, you know, people floating around on harps and, you know, chilling out. That's not what you see. What he saw more than anything is just this gigantic party, the rave of eternity. As people are boogieing and shouting before the throne of God and they are constantly thanking God, Thank you, thank you, thank you for this incredible swap. Worthy is the lamb, Jesus, who was slain. He took our punishment that we might have God's blessings. He took what he did not deserve so we could get what we don't deserve, which is forgiveness for everything we've ever done. It is a swap of the ages. So much the Bible says that even angels look and are amazed. Do you know angels actually look at us in this crazy, jacked-up world? Those of us who follow Christ, angels look at us with a sense of envy. It's hard to imagine because we think, oh, this place really bites. Talk about Pastor Mark traveling in the cold. It's much worse than that. It's just life. And life is hard and we make mistakes and we struggle, but yet angels look at us with a sense of admiration because we have this incredible swap. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We become joint heirs with Christ. We look at angels envying them. If they could, they would swap places with you right now. That's what happens. It doesn't feel like it. I know. It doesn't matter what we feel. Pastor, I struggle. I know. It doesn't matter that we struggle. Pastor, life is hard. I know. It really bites. But there's a day coming when you will be set free of this and we'll finally see what has happened in us. And it is going to be glorious. It is going to be incredible. This amazing swap. I was not thinking about this very simple message this morning, trying to describe what happens when we get saved. I was reminded of the uh, Charles Dickens novel. Charles Dickens is the fellow who wrote the story we always see every Christmas, you know, the Christmas story of, story of Ebenezer Scrooge and the the ghosts of Christmas past, all that stuff. It was all written by Charles Dickens. He also wrote a novel entitled The Tale of Two Cities. 
I use that title all the time in my presentation that I call The Tale of Two Brains. We talk about how men and women tend to think differently from each other. People get a kick out of it. Over 100 million views on YouTube alone is what gets us calls constantly as we travel all over the world sharing these insights. But it's a playoff of that title, The Tale of Two Cities. Now, the two cities in Dickens' novel is London and France, Paris. London and Paris, The Tale of Two Cities. He starts out with these famous words, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And he continues to describe what was good in London versus the trauma that was happening in France. This is about the time of the American Revolution. French, this revolution is, is happening. It's all just all this tension going. The story is built around a guy by the name of Charles Darnay. I'm going to give you the, the uh, cheap uh, book report version <laughs> because it's a long book. But Charles Darnay is one of the characters. And in the beginning of the book, Charles is on trial. And He's on trial in London, and he's on charge, uh, trial for the charge of treason. They're saying that he had betrayed military secrets uh, through the French to the Americans, us, who were rebelling against England. And so they had this case based on, you know, whatever evidence they had. And their strongest bit of evidence was an eyewitness who saw this apparently happening. Well, his legal team uh, is trying to defend him, and there is an attorney in London by the name of Sidney Carton. Now, Sidney is kind of, you know, he's an attorney, but his life is kind of a, you know, not much motivating him. He's an alcoholic. He's struggling. He's not really what you would call an admirable person at this point in his life. But they saw Sidney and got him to help with the trial because the deal with Sidney is he was a ringer for Charles Darnay. They looked almost exactly the same. Difficult to tell the difference. You ever meet anybody who looks like you? Anybody have that experience? It's kind of strange. People always say, you know, so-and-so looks like you, and then you see a picture, and you go, I don't look like that, but you smile, and you know, whatever. But uh, I actually met a person who looked exactly like me, and I am not exaggerating. It was creepy. I felt like my mama was not sharing some information somewhere. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Because this guy, I'm telling you, even my wife thought he was me. When your own wife thinks somebody else is you, that guy looks a lot like you. Everybody thought he was... (laughs) was me. It was so weird. And I met him and we're talking and he has the same mannerisms. He has the same goofy hair, the same hippie glasses, the same, you know, I wish I could grow a mustache, mustache, you know, all this stuff. It was like, you know, when I was 20 years old and it was amazing. It was weird. It really weird. Clearly, clearly the most incredibly handsome man I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Stunned, stunned by his glory. It was overwhelming. So anyway, this is the situation with Sidney. He's a dead ringer for Charles. Well, it doesn't take long for the defense to realize the way we can blow this trial apart is to confuse the eyewitness by sticking Sidney in there. And of course, in this dramatic lawyer event that happens in the story, they're going to identify... uh, Mr. Darnay, but then here's Mr. Carton, and the eyewitness cannot tell the difference. 
with who is who. The case is blown to bits, and Darnay is free. Now, during the trial, there is this, you know, the uh, love interest that is going on in this story by the name of Lucy Manette. Lucy is quite the cutie. And Lucy has to testify unwillingly for the prosecution and stuff like that. But during the trial, of course, Darnay and Carton, everybody, it actually was a third guy too, they're looking at her going, holy cow, check out this babe, you know. So everybody falls head over heels in love with uh, Lucy. So Charles and Sydney, after this is over, they're both trying to woo her because they want the girl. They're crazy in love with this beautiful woman. Well, you know, the story goes on. They both try to woo her, but then she favors Charles Darnay, and she marries him. But Sydney is still crazily in love with her and cannot move on. He comes to her house alone and talks to her and tells her, declares, if you will, to her his undying love for her and tells her that while he expects no return of his love from her, that he wanted her to know that he would do anything for her or for anyone she loves. Personally, I think, dude, move on. But that's not the tension of the story. So anyway, blah, 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 blah. All this drama going on in the story. Eventually, Charles is in France. He gets arrested now in Paris and whatever the, you know, trees and whatever the deal is. Anyway, he is sentenced to death. Sydney now is also in Paris because he still is attached to this love that he has for Lucy. It so inspired him. Now, I got to tell you, if I'm crazy in love with a woman and find out that her husband's about to die, I'm going, oh yeah. <laughs> this is a very convenient situation. Because as soon as he kicks off, I will come and comfort the widow in her sorrow. <laughs> and, and be the hero, right? I mean, come on, most people would think in those kind of terms. Uh, and I'm a pig. So anyway. <laughs> Sydney, though, has a totally different reaction. Because his love is the kind of love that stories are made of and of the truest kind of love, the kind of love that God has for us. Where Sydney was more concerned for how she felt than how he felt. Most of us admittedly love is something that we benefit greatly from. And let's face it, not to take away all the fizzy swah of love and romance, but the reason why people get married, it is one of the most narcissistic experiences of their life right? I'm with something, someone because they make me feel so wonderful. And I like the way they talk to me and how he holds my hand and the way he kisses me. Okay, the whole thing. We can finally get together so I can be happy. Now, that's how all marriages start out. You get married and then you start to die. Okay, so that's, you start to learn. That's not what love is. It's not. That's what love is. You got to learn. If you love, if you stay there, you'll never make it. People who try to stay there end up in divorce. Those who move on start to understand, no, 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 true love is being more concerned about the other person. Ah, it's a little painful, granted. Anyway, Sidney has this kind of love for Lucy, and he sets out on a plan to save 
Darnay. So because of his influence, uh, Sidney is able to get in to visit Darnay in prison. He takes a friend with him. And when he gets in there, he sees Charles Darnay and, you know, blah, blah, blah. He drugs Darnay, and when he's passed out, he changes clothes with him. And he gives Darnay his nice, clean, lawyerly clothes. And Sidney puts on the clothes of a man who's been in prison. Well, his friend helps Darnay's kind of out of it, you know, as he's starting to wear off and takes him out. The guards don't know what's going on because Sidney's a dead ringer for this man. And once he gets out and sobers up, then he's able to find Lucy and his family and they go back to the safety of London. But now Sidney Carton is in prison, sentenced to be executed. And as he's on his way to the guillotine, which is how they went, there's a woman there who recognizes him and suddenly discovers what he's doing. And rather than ratting him out, she is so encouraged because she too must die. She takes great strength from his sacrifice. And one of the great words in Dickens' novel is as Darnay is about to go to surrender his head, he says, it is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest I go to than I've ever known. And this man who is completely and totally innocent dies in the place of a man who he wished wasn't there in the first place, all motivated by a love for a woman he knew would never love her back. Holy cow, that's impressive. Uh, people who study this, if you look at it even from secular writers and stuff, they are quick to point out the analogies of the Christian story and the story of what is written here. It's one of the amazing things. This should be a movie that should have been redone in modern days. Maybe at some point somebody will. But because of the correlation, it's hard not to hide the correlation between what Christ did and what this man did. So, you know, they're not really big on that in Hollywood. But uh, it's an amazing story. So, as I was thinking about this incredible swap, then, of course, I had to come back to the great swap that we're talking about this morning. In a few minutes, we're going to be serving communion at our campuses in Appleton, Stevens Point here in Green Bay. And uh, the campus pastor is going to be giving an opportunity to pray with everybody here. If you're a person that's visiting maybe for the first time or you've come for a long time and you've never truly surrendered your heart to God, you've never experienced this glorious swap, let me encourage you, do it today. One of the scriptures, the things that Paul says just a few words later as he's writing the words we just read, is he says, today is the day of salvation. Today, let that swap happen for you. Freely give what you can no longer bear and make this wonderful swap for something you cannot possibly earn or deserve. It's called salvation. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love, your kindness, and this incredible grace. Lord, that is the greatest story that has ever been told. You, a loving God, come and swapping with us, taking our suffering, 
our sins, our failures, taking that everything that's wrong about us so that we can have everything that's right about you. For this, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Have a great safe fourth.